Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, where we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in each week to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Now, here's your host. Welcome, everyone, to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. I'm Susan Olesic, the founder of Enneagram Prison Project, and I am delighted to be talking about another type in the head triad today. We're talking about type six, the loyalist. And with me today, I have two guests who are the real deal. I um, am so relieved that I don't have to try to be a six because, uh, as we know, types speak for themselves. So with me, I have... um, Two people that I've been working with on the inside in prison quite a bit and also have our colleagues of mine on the outside. So I'd like to introduce Dana Vitarello and Aaron West. Dana, thank you for being Hi. with us. Hi. Good morning. And uh, thank you. And Aaron, are you there? I am. Good morning. It's a little dodgy, you guys. I have to know to let you know because I work so much with Aaron and Dana that I'm constantly calling them the wrong names. So I just want to say that probably will happen this morning. <laughs> and um, you just have to um, bear with me. You know, um, type six is the type that um, helps to come to teach the rest of all of us about trust and what we can trust. And they are so trustworthy. Um and we're going to hear a lot about that today. Uh, I feel very supported by sixes who um, ironically are often feeling like they don't know if they have enough support themselves. And so I think you're, you're going to kind of hear some of that paradox today. But um, the, the head center, the thinking center, five, six, and seven, for those types, the, the personality is really formed all around thinking. And thinking is also ironically the part of the psyche that's most compromised and doesn't have the most the most freedom um but sixes really are gifted in in their mind and um and they are fierce um questioners they they know exactly what to look for and what is what is not being said and they know how to sort of tease that out or come right out directly and ask it um, the gift of the, the head center is really this essential quality of, of quiet mind. And when we're quiet in our mind, we have a lot of clarity. It's a, an understanding about something that comes to us that's different than thinking. It's like this inner peace, almost like a quietude. And um, five, six, and sevens all can kind of lose touch with that, their own quiet mind. And they, therefore, can get out of touch with their own inner guidance and their own support. Um, so what 5, 6, and 7 are all really wanting is this presence of mind so that they can move into the future. But, of course, there are these issues with different things, different um, issues that come up around guidance. So we want to talk about that today. Um, and just to say that the when we're when we lose connection with ourselves for all of us we lose connection with the most essential part of us and for sixes that starts to look um, look like mm, I would say very doubtful traditionally the word around sixes has been fear but especially having worked with Aaron and Dana both of whom charge into prison with me on a regular basis they don't look fearful they look quite you know um, not fearful in many ways and um, and actually, can go against that. So that's, I guess, one of the first things that I, I want to um, 
to look at. And I'm going to start with you, Dana, and just ask you first before we even get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe just in like a, you know, a minute or so, sort of how you came upon the Enneagram and how you have sort of ended up using the Enneagram in, in your life? Yeah, I had a classmate maybe 10 years ago when I was in graduate school who was getting certified through the narrative tradition, the Palmer Daniels tradition, which we're all certified in. And I thought it was really interesting and I kind of would continuously go back to the books and read, but I didn't really um, do a lot of work around it until, of course, as a six, then almost 10 years later, I have all this education and I'm like, I, I don't know what to do with it. Like, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm finally ready for what? And then mm-hmm. I was like, uh, it turns out I'm not ready. So um, <laughs> then I went to get more. And I, I went to the NARM School of the Narrative Tradition, and I, um, I got trained there. And I really do think, although my education will never stop, like that was kind of the missing piece for me to really be able to step out into the world as like a more whole person. Because I don't know if this is a six thing, if this is just a me thing. But a lot of the time it was like, I kind of felt like a fraud. Like I had my master's degree in psychology and I had coaching certification and a hypnotherapy certificate. Like I have all this education and I felt like, and I was doing inner work, right? But a lot of transpersonal inner work. And so none of it was actually landing like in the personality, and I, the Enneagram brings the in the personality piece. And um, anyone that knows me knows I like stuff really real. Like I like it, you know, raw and authentic. And um, when I was getting certified, you know, I met Enneagram um, EPP ambassadors inside and they just shifted the whole course of my life. And um, I met Rick and um, you and, and all these people. And all of a sudden I was like, that's what I've been meaning to do and all of this work that I feel like I've been struggling to get through like all of it got me to this place so like I can go inside and do this work which I didn't know that that's what was happening but once I met Victor Soto and Alex Senegal and and you guys I was like oh that's what all of this has been preparing me for so the Enneagram has really allowed me to see myself more clearly um, which is I think important for all of us but especially as a six like I don't really want any surprises Um, Mm -hmm. especially within myself, like that would be terrifying. So it's helped me unearth parts of myself probably more than any other system or modality or it's more of a map than a system. But anyway, it's amazing. That's an awesome introduction. Thank you so much for that. And I just want to say right off the bat that everything outside of ourselves is an aspect of ourselves. So these people that you've seen that look like so much of the real thing that you want to go and do and engage with in the world are, of course, a reflection of you. And that's why they resonate with you so much. So I want to just push pause for a second and bring Aaron in in the same way. I have the same question, if you could, just to help us to get to have a little introduction of you and who you are in the world. How is it that you came upon the Enneagram or how did the Enneagram come upon you and how do you find yourself working with it in the world? Sure. So I found out about the Enneagram about, I'd say, almost 25 years ago and a friend of mine had invited me to a weekend-long workshop about it, and I'd never heard of it, and I was really going through quite a deep depression at the time, so I was up for anything that um, anybody thought might help, and so I went, and um, I, it was a panel workshop, and when the sixes got up there and started talking, I immediately felt this, oh, my God, 
I have found my tribe. Um, you know, there are other people that, well, at the time I thought were crazy, but I now recognize it that this is just our type. Um, but it really, it, it hit home so much that I really started to, you know, just get as much knowledge as I could about it, books and, and, and workshops and things. And I really just used it as a personal tool for years. And, um, you know, if family or friends were interested, that was fine. I would talk about it with them. But it wasn't until, I guess it was about a year and a half ago, and I, I've been volunteering at San Quentin for almost four years, and I saw one of um, one of the inmates that was in one of my groups carrying around the wisdom um, of the Enneagram book, and I, I literally ran up and cornered him and said, what are you doing with that book, and where did you get it? <laughs> Not in an aggressive way, just a curious way, but... Um, and he told you don't have to worry about inmates and (laughs) sorry, you don't have to worry about inmates in prison. You really have to worry about crazy Enneagram people. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. I think I frightened him. Um, but, uh, he, he told me about EPP and, and it just so happened he was on his way to class. So I tagged along and I met Susan and I really, I really, uh, feel in my heart that that is why I am, volunteering in prison and I, I just didn't know it uh, at the time um, because I feel that the Enneagram has helped me so much in my growth um, that I think it, this, for incarcerated people it's, it's such a it can be such so helpful um, for themselves to understand who they are and how they got to where they are and how they don't have to do that again so <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you so much for that introduction. That really helps us to get a little bit of context. So as you all know and can hear, we're working together quite a bit with the Enneagram um, already, but let's go into the type structure a little bit to help our listeners to understand how it works inside of a six. Um, the sixes really come to teach the rest of us about this inner guidance, and they have a way of um, showing up for other people in in such a, a loyal way and such a trustworthy way. And so I, I wanted to start with that and I'll, I'll ask you, Dana, do you, do you resonate with that? Do people give you that feedback that you're a loyal, trustworthy person? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of <laughs> one of those hard things that we, of course, it's totally a gift. And it's also one of those hard things that we can get stuck in. And something that I've been working on is it's great to be loyal to other people and organizations and things that you believe in. Um, and I really also need to work on making sure that I'm being loyal to myself too, which was a big eye-opening thing that if you're so busy being loyal to everyone else, sometimes you kind of get lost in that mix. For yourself. Yes. Yes. Right. So um, I like to lead with the gifts and Mm -hmm. I I know Dana and Aaron well enough to know that they are willing to say the positive things about themselves in addition to the negative, but it is worth noting that the habit of mind for type six can be kind of orienting to the negative or to the thing that could go wrong or to the thing that isn't. And, and this is part of the the quality of mind that sevens bring, which is a very, um, a a doubtful one or a questioning one. So can you say, um, and you're starting to get into it a little bit because do you, do you relate to this habit of mind of being doubtful? I do a lot. Um, I'm getting, I'm definitely getting better. Um, because I think what happens is so often 
it's a habit of mind, right? So if we're not, if we haven't cultivated our inner observer at all, like we don't know that that's what's driving us. And I think that that was a really interesting awakening, like kind of hearing like, oh, you're, you know, you're driven by doubt. And at first it was like, no, I'm not. And then it was like, oh, crap. Yeah, I am. Wow, it's there all the time. It's everywhere. Um, so definitely, like, I, I will find that it's actually my first inclination to doubt something. And if I don't, like, I remember um, one of my other mentors saying, doubt, you feel like doubt is your friend, like, as a six. It's like, I almost wouldn't feel safe if I didn't have it. It's like a, a crutch. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't let it drive me anymore necessarily, but like if it's not there, I, I almost get a little panicky. Like, what's wrong? Like, why isn't there at least a little bit of a skepticism here? Right, right. How, how about you, Erin? I want to bring you into the same question. First of all, do you find yourself to be a loyal person? Do you get that feedback about yourself in the world? Yes, um, y- yes. I'm. I would say fiercely loyal, um, mm-hmm. almost, and like Dana, like sometimes loyal to a fault. But um, it's one of the things I like most about myself because I do really feel like if you're if if you're in my corner, I, you know, nothing. Um, I will I will be there no matter what. I'll do anything for you. I'll, uh, yeah. I mean, like I got your back no matter what. So. Yes, I completely relate to that. <laughs> right, and the the doubt part is is related to this um, feeling like I I can't trust things inside of myself. So when I lose connection with me, if I'm a six, then I start to feel like I'm not sure how I'm going to move into the future. And five, six, and seven are all trying to have enough inside of themselves so that they know where they're going. Like they want want to they want to have this internal GPS. But as we all know, when we lose that sense of ourselves, then it's harder and harder to have. So this doubt is sort of um, always looking for the exception or second guessing myself or looking for some other authority that I can trust because I need the reassurance and I don't have it inside of me. And um, so sixes are interesting. A lot of people come away from learning type six sort of scratching their head like, I didn't really get the six. And I think part of that is because kind of whatever sixes are, they also aren't. They and maybe you guys can help us to understand this a little bit. There's there's like this um, kind of well in Palmer Daniels they call six the devil's advocate. So Dana, can I ask you about that? Do you do you relate to that? And why is that inside of you? If it if you do, I I definitely do. And I remember being on a panel for you like I don't know maybe a year or a year and a half ago, and and I was like I'm total devil's advocate, and you were like are you know are you doing it on purpose? And I just instantly was kind of like. <laughs> I don't think deflated was the right word, but I was like, dang, that's a good question. Like, I really don't think that I'm doing it on purpose, but it's this feeling that like, um, like I, before I would have said, I'm not a devil's advocate. Mm. I now understand that I am, but it's like, if I don't see the whole situation, it doesn't feel safe. So it's that thing, like, I don't really like surprises, right? I don't want them in me. I don't want them in you. I don't want them in the world. And I know that you can't not have surprises, but I feel like if I'm kind of advocating for whatever is not being addressed right here and right now, then we're having like a more whole picture of reality or of the situation or whatever it is. And if I'm not pulling up the whole situation, I, I appreciate the other person, even if it's a positive outlook to, to bring up that other side, like whatever is not being seen, I want that brought into the light. And I think that's where the devil's advocateness arises in me is just like, can we just acknowledge everything that is 
uh, potential, I guess. And when something isn't acknowledged, it, it gives me really bad anxiety, actually. So then how is, what happens on the flip side when the other part is brought in and you can see both obstacles or sort of both sides of things? What does that do for you? How does that reassure you? It, you know, it's like instantly my anxiety like subsides. It's like, okay, okay. I feel like I um, can kind of see uh, more wholeness in this. And it just feels, I guess, safer. Like, I don't know. I want to use the word certain, but it's probably not the accurate word, but it feels like, again, like this thing of, actually, I didn't really realize I had so many issues with this, but like no surprises. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's really pleasant, like because I go to, I'm working on it a lot, but because I will tend to go to the worst case scenario when someone is a positive outlook type or like my mom's a type three and she's really shiny and she'll kind of, you know, shine everything up. And I'm like, okay, like I, I do appreciate that. Like I do need sometimes a silver lining brought to light. So that's kind of a double, uh, gratitude that I can have when, if well, I'm all I'm doing is pulling that and someone can bring in the positive. Right. This is really helpful. You, you just describing more about it. You know, the, um, the sixes are actually so capable and they don't, my experiences, you and, and Aaron and all the other sixes in my life, they don't tend to lead with it. They're not like, you know, tooting their own horn about all the things they can't do because in their mind, they're imagining that they can't. But the rest of us are all out here feeling, thank God, the six is here because they've thought about everything. They prepared for it. They've got all the I's dotted and T's crossed. And um, that's really my often my experience. But internally, I understand sixes can scare themselves silly about what hasn't happened. So by the time, if I, I think for, I think what I'm hearing you say is that if I can see the other obstacles, then I know what they are and then I know how to proceed. And then of course that calms me down. So then you can bring what you already have inside of you, which is you're more than capable inside. You've just forgotten. That was a beautiful synopsis of what I was trying to say. Yes. No, I'm just trying to, I'm using your, your own information. So Aaron, how, can you tell us, are you relating to this at all? Is that similar for you? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much identical and it's funny because sometimes um, like I will, I will purposely take, like if there's a conversation going I will purposely play devil's advocate and take the opposite side and I'll find myself in my head saying, what are you doing? Like, you don't even (laughs) agree with what you're saying. Like, you're completely taking the opposite side and it doesn't make any sense, but I think Dana's right. Like, for me, it's always like the more information that I can get, (laughs) the better, the more secure I feel. And also, I think it's also because I, I um, I have a lot of trust issues and if I sort of provoke a little bit, I can make sure that the other person is going to stick to what they're saying, and Mm. then it makes me um, more able to trust what they're saying, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense at all. (laughs) Makes so Um, much sense. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so that, I mean, and that happens all the time, and I just wanted to, if I could just go back to the self-doubt for a second... Mm -hmm. Because Please. I thought it was so funny. Earlier, I and now here comes the self-doubt, right? I think you referred in this conversation to type 7 instead of type 6. And oh, I was did like, I? oh, I should, I should point out that it's type 6 and not type 7. And then, and you were still talking. I'm like, 
but did she really say type 7? Or <laughs> is that really what I heard? I think it's what I heard. I should say something. I don't know. So, I mean, it really is sort of, it's very automatic, this doubt that comes up. Um, so mm-hmm. it's like Dana says, you know, it's, uh, it's something I work with all the time. Um, and, you know, trusting or just going for it. You know what? Maybe she didn't say type 7, and I'm going to say it anyway <laughs> just in case. <laughs> well, let's check it out. Dana, did I say seven instead of six? You you did. And I <laughs> my doubt arose in a different way. I didn't want to interrupt you because you had such a good flow going on. And I made the <laughs> assumption that anyone listening would know that we were sixes. So. <laughs> so this is so great, right? I didn't know I said that. And of course, humans misspeak all, all the time. And we're all convinced we said what we said. And if you play it back, actually, we're all kind of got a little bit of delusion going on. But let the record show that, you know, everybody can hear what I said. And um, I think what's so helpful is that you gave us a really, you know, tangible example of how even though something was legitimately exactly as you heard it, the doubt is something that's uh, it's very automatic. And like Dana said, not something I'm doing on purpose, which personality is not on purpose. The whole point of uh, studying the Enneagram is to see how we're unconscious and how we're unconsciously automatic. And that when we're on automatic, we're in this um, hell, this prison that we make for ourselves because we have no choice. We have no no consciousness, no awareness, and no freedom to really see all of the things that are occurring around us and then move into any situation with, you know, with our own, uh, with our eyes open, our free will, and all our gifts. So... Some of um, what you guys are talking about and just this way that, um, like Aaron, you said that you can play devil's advocate and you can be even sixes can be quite provoking of others to sort of see where the holes are, to see what people aren't telling them. And um, there is this uh, uh, sort of continuum, I would say, in, inside of type sixes where sixes have a, a phobic side where they, they don't trust themselves and so they're looking for an authority or something outside of themselves, their parents, a caretaker, teachers, a philosophy, a religion, a coach, something outside of me that I can point to and whatever all that authority says, I'll line up with that on the phobic side. And then also inside of sixes, there's this sort of counterphobic end of things where I might still be looking for that authority and I might still be doubtful and vigilant and watchful. But when I come against that authority, I'm going to go right against it and I'm going to act out against it almost as a way of assuaging the inner you know, turmoil that I'm having. So I just want to check that out with the two of you. Do you relate to the phobic or the counterphobic in yourselves? Um, how, like, and which one do you feel like you're more, or are you both? I guess I'll, I'll start with you, Aaron. Uh, I feel that um, I feel that I'm both. I probably tend a little bit more counterphobic, but I definitely was thinking like a, you know, the um, like an authority system. Whatever, and I think for me, like the Enneagram is a perfect one. I mean, I have found it, <laughs> as you know, like for me, like this is so, I'm so aligned with it. I'm so in tune with it. I'm so devoted to it. Um, you know, it can do no wrong sort of thing. Um, I've kind of placed it on a pedestal because it's working for me. And then on on the flip side, if there is an authority figure that is doing me wrong, quote-unquote, then I will totally go up against it full force um, and really not look like I have any fear at all. Um, and I I think I've, you guys both know this example of I used to work at an organization, which I will not name, 
but uh, was not the employees were not being treated very well. And a friend of mine said, "Let's let's band together and unionize." And I'm like, "Hell yes, let's do that." And you know, we went for it. And and so it's it's both for me. It's uh, uh, the phobic counterphobic thing. And and I'm also a big risk taker um, as far as sort of adventurous. And it doesn't. I, I would say I don't really look like a fearful person on the outside. Awesome. Yeah. And so the big risk taking is what is that about? What do you what do you get while you're taking the big risk? What's the feeling? Are you are you still fearful as you take the big risk? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you wouldn't know it, but yes, like inside uh and also filled with a lot of doubt. I mean, you know, I do some crazy stuff. And I'm like, this is ins- like I could die, right? But so yes, there's a lot of fear. I'm like, but I'm going to do it anyway. And a lot of it sometimes is just to, like, I'm going to prove to myself that I that I can do this, that I can kind of get through the fear. Um, you, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Probably absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, it absolutely does. We have about a, a minute and a half before we're going to take a quick break. So, Dana, what about for you? Are you? What are you relating to in terms of the phobic, counterphobic, and how is that inside of yourself? Um. Yeah. I. You know, it's so funny because I really, I get the spectrum and I hate the spectrum and I just, um, I definitely, like Aaron said, there are certain things that I can fall in line with. And I think part of the reason why I like the Enneagram and the narrative tradition so much is because A, the Enneagram is just a map. The system's not telling me that I have to do anything. It's it's really all my choice. And it also tells me that I'm the authority. Like, I'm the authority on my type. You're the authority on your type. So it's a system about owning our own power. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I really like that. And I think it's why it was like it was the system that I was waiting for to kind of come into my life. But I, I do, like Aaron said, I will fall into alignment with stuff like that. But I do a lot of like challenging. I mean, I, I'm, I, th- I think it's just like I'm constantly observing and being watchful. And I don't know, I, I think I'm more counterphobic most of the time because I just, if some, if I feel like something isn't the way that it should be like, I'll, I have to say something or I have to do something. And it's almost like, I feel like I don't have control. I'm learning better now. I have a lot more control than I used to have, but it's, it almost has felt like a compulsion to have to do something about it, to have to say something about it. And the minute, like Aaron said that I feel fearful, I will, I'm not going to go and cower and hide. Like I'm going to step up and I'm going to face whatever is coming at me, whether it's myself or another person or a situation that's such a good description. I want to pick up right after the break where um, where you're talking right here about this um, um, feeling your own empowerment and your personal power and giving it up. Okay. So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? 
people all over the world are awakening to their birthright, Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity, live wholeheartedly, and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com In these times of converging crisis, the world needs us now more than ever before. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is devoted to amplifying inspiring voices facing challenging realities head-on opening up new places of power and inviting curiosity about the paths we might take toward personal, communal, and global health. The magazine aspires to help us become the change we wish to see in the world, co-creating the more beautiful world we know to be possible. Join us on this journey. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Our hosts are clinicians of mind and body medicine and lifestyle change. They are writers, activists, educators, and change agents. You can reach the show and our hosts at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. I'm Susan Olesic with Enneagram Prison Project, and I'm talking to my two guests, Dana Vitorello and Aaron West, about being a type six. And I want to pick up where we've been, where we just left off, Dana, with talking about how the Enneagram is a system that is uh, about self-empowerment. And interestingly, it's a map, like you say, it also reflects us back to ourselves when we give up our own um, our own personal power. And um, I think that's, I know that's why we're all studying it and why we're all endeavoring to teach it. Um, so I wondered if you could say a little bit about how um, your relationship with yourself has started to shift and maybe your own inner trust um, has started to grow as you've been using this map and w- why you think that is. Yeah, that's a great question. For speaking um, and, and come on in afterwards, Erin. Okay. Uh, you know, as so I don't know how this is for other types. I mean, I can imagine how it is for other types, and I know the Enneagram, and I teach the Enneagram, and I get that. But as a six, what we really live with is constantly, um, kind of chronically projecting our power onto other people and fighting to reclaim that back. Um, and with the... 
Enneagram, especially through the narrative tradition where, you know, it, we are, we are it, we are the authority. We know us better than anyone else knows us. Um, it has really allowed me to kind of settle into like, yeah, wait, that is what I'm feeling. Like, you know, Aaron was saying, like, even the most trivial things we might have crippled doubt around. And so to kind of constantly have this being reaffirmed, A, which Enneagram Prison Project is huge on this, like, these are your gifts. Like, you know, and, and until you can own them, like, we're just going to keep reflecting those back to you because those are in you. Like, those are inherent in you. And like, those are yours. Like, almost like those are your birthright. Right. And, you know, go ahead. I just want to jump in. I think this is why I think it made so much sense to me when Aaron was saying that the Enneagram system can be my authority because we do really see the math and the sacred geometry and the, you know, profound psychology in it. I mean, it is really unbreakable. That system is so, so reliable. I'm not a six, but I find the same assurance in it. So then we know that thing is true. Mm -hmm. And so that thing doesn't change. It can give me a real like finger hold, like a, a a cornerstone somewhere in my life. Is, Is that true? Yeah, it's true for me. How about you yeah, want to say more on that, Erin? Yeah, oh, yeah, it's true for me, too. And and I think because it is, like, it's such a, um, mm, I, yeah, I mean, MAP is a good word. For me, it's such a trustworthy system. And, again, trust being a big thing for us, sixes, um, it, it, that, you know, I, I can pay attention to what the Enneagram is, is showing me about myself and mm-hmm. in trusting that it gives me leverage to when, you know, when my doubtful thoughts come up now, and I mean, I've been studying this a long time, but I can, I can recognize them as just that, right? These are, this is just some doubt coming up, and it doesn't have to rule my life, right? As Dana said, our doubt can cripple us, and it has many times in the past. And when it starts to do that now, I can recognize it as, oh, you know, this is just what's happening, right? This isn't, it's not necessarily true or anything else. This is just what's happening. And so now that when it happens, I can choose to react a different way, right? Instead of it crippling me, I can say, ah, oh, it's just a thought and move from that point rather than, oh, my God, the world is imploding sort of thoughts. Right, right. You in know, the past is what I had. Super helpful. In the Wisdom of the Enneagram book, they call it the let in rule when we start sort of treating other people the way way we're totally afraid that other people will treat us. And so when sixes fear that they're going to be without any guidance, they start undermining all the different systems that are around them. And I wonder, you know, if you guys have any examples, like real life examples that you could share, because I think that's what helps listeners really understand better. And um, one of the... um, uh, ways that, like you said, we're all trained and is in the narrative tradition. Do you, do you have something that you can point to where you've kind of been at the bottom of yourself and how knowing this, knowing this is just a pattern that the personality is in fact a survival system that has helped me, but right now is not exactly my friend, right? Not, not even me, just an old habit. Do you guys have anything that you could help to fill this out a little bit more with? Aaron or Dana? stump the sixes oh well okay wait um i think i have I, I, an example can you yeah, go kind ahead. of repeat the well, question 
Yeah, I want to know, can you give us an example of a time where your um, your own fear of not being supported is something that you have been projecting out into the world and then actually creating rather than, uh, so in other words, it started in you and now you see it out there when actually there's a lot of support that's around you. So I will say this, that I... About 10 years, when I was in grad school, I wrote a paper on projection and I didn't know that that was our defense mechanism at the time. And I know that everyone uses it, but we're like masters at it. And literally for six months, I was unraveled. Like I was like, nothing in the world is real. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way that's true. Um, but like for a six to really like go so deeply into to that, like our, our defense mechanism and say, Oh my God, everything that I'm doing every minute of every day. Cause at the time I was pretty unconscious, like is not real. And I now need to reclaim all that and own that back that like, that's all my crap was uh, like really shattering in a, in a really good way. Mm. Um, and so what I will find myself doing, but not acting on is or if I'm feeling really stressed out, I will start like this story that is, it's like starts in like whispers in my head of like, you know, you don't have support, like other people have support and you could use more support and what you need is this and what you need is that. And I'll pull back and sit with it. And I'm like, that is so not true, right? That is literally just the old story that was probably never true, repeating itself and repeating itself and repeating itself. Because when I pull back, I see I have what is like unfair, unright amounts of support. Like I have support from people where like, I don't even believe that I'm worthy of the support that I have of the people that have been willing to mentor me and take me under their wing. And I mean, so I I don't necessarily act on that because I'm self-aware enough now to like understand that that's, it's just BS. Like it's not true. Mm. Um, But 10 years ago, I probably would have acted out on it and like burned major bridges and then had to try to do some recovery. But it still pops up like that if I'm really stressed out or really tired or whatever that, you know, I don't have support and I need more support. And when I pull Mm. back and do a reality check, right? Like is, is what about this story is true? Like nothing about that story is true. I have a ton of support. Not only can I hold myself, but I have my family and my friends and my, my bosses and my mentors. I mean, like so many people in my life. Um, so that's a way that that for sure pops up for me. But like I said, I'm like, and like Aaron said, you know, to sit with it and be like, this is just the thought. This doesn't mean it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Very helpful. You know, something that you're pointing out, Dana, that's true for all of us is that as we start to see what these um, aspects are of our personality structure, I'll call it the things that we put around our heart to armor ourselves up so that we don't have to feel the pain of not being connected. Um, when we start to chill them away just by naming them, like you knew projection was something to write about, but you didn't know that it's a central yeah. way that um, sixes literally do project protect themselves by seeing my, my fearful things out in the other other people then I can hate those other people and systems and things that are so untrustworthy and not necessarily have to realize that that's me or an aspect of me this is human this is the human condition we all do that and so as you said when we start to um, break them down we start to feel a little uh, disoriented even confused Um, it's it's a messy time but then if you can stay with that, if you can tolerate the sort of the presence that seeps in when those cracks are made around it, 
then we start to get a profound amount of guidance and we can start to remember and remember and remember all the ways that people have supported us. So I thought that was that was really a good illustration of that. Erin, anything coming up for you as you're as you're listening? Yeah, and I was hesitating because I'm going to give you an extreme example, and I've actually never told anybody this before. So let's <laughs> well, it's radio. just it's just the so three of us and all our listeners. <laughs> so <laughs> when I was in college, I got this idea in my head because I I was raised in a fairly strict family, and I was a good little girl, and then I went to college, and I was this wild child. And I got this idea in my head that my father had hired spies to spy on me and report back to him my behavior, right? And I don't, I don't even know how I got that in my head, but this is what came into my head. And I was convinced, like, I would walk around looking at people looking at me, like when we talk about projection, like mm-hmm. looking at people looking at me and projecting on, oh, my God, they're spies and they're spying on me and they're watching every move. I mean, crazy stuff, right? I mean, mm-hmm. thank God I can recognize it now. It was nuts. Mm-hmm. But it was, this was, I think, like, this was a, a good example of a, of a six in a pretty unhealthy place, right? Mm-hmm. And thank God I went into therapy and I found the Enneagram. Honestly, I would say it kind of saved my life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so now I don't do, haven't done those things for a long, long time. Um, but, you know, as Dana said, when we can start to recognize um, support that we do have, I think it's really valuable for a six just to, you know, in any, like the person, the peop- all the thousands of people who made my phone that I'm talking on right now, right? So just in little ways, and then we can come to the big ways in which the people who love us support us every day and stuff. So, yeah, so anyway... Welcome to my unhealthy world as a 20-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's it speaks volumes to how healthy you are in comparison that you can talk about it and tell, you know, share it with God and everybody just with a lot of, you know, levity because it's not ever really you. It was never you. It was an aspect of you, but it's not all of you and never was. And we can say that um, we can have fun with ourselves more the more we um, more ground we have underneath us, I think, and so it kind of is an interesting segue. I, I'd like to ask you both in the, in the last fifteen minutes or so that we have together to talk a little bit about how is it that two phobic counterphobic sixes find themselves working the majority of their lives in prison of all places where it's probably one of the least predictable environments and most uncertain in some ways. And how is it, Erin, that you found yourself there? Why is that a calling for you? Uh, I think a couple of things. Um, a, I've always been uh, into underdogs, like causes and things like this. And anybody who is just needs help or whatever has just always uh, called to me. And I, I basically just saw a, a documentary at a film festival one time. It was about a man who had gone into San Quentin and had put on a play because he couldn't afford to pay actors. And, and in, in the documentary were all these uh, inmates uh, that were talking about how, you know, this, this one thing had, had really changed their lives and improved their lives. And um, there was a question and answer session afterwards, and a bunch of the guys had been paroled, and they were there, and they were really doing well. And 
I just went, I want to, I want to go in and in some capacity, um, you know, quote unquote, help these guys. And so anyway, I, I found my way, uh, into San Quentin and what I found is a, okay. Yeah, they are underdogs and they've had horrible things happen to them and they've done horrible things. And so there was that aspect to it, but what I found is that these guys are working really, really hard to better themselves and to find out about themselves and, and just really, really trying to change. And that speaks to me so much because I've done that and am continually doing that with myself. Um, and I, I kind of, I don't feel that a lot of people on the, on the outside, as we call it, out here, um, are doing that. So that felt safe to me. So it's sort of like, you know, there's, we call, like, six is like safety in numbers, right? So even though I'm with people who, you know, they've, they've done terrible things, but they're not what they've done, right? They're not their crimes mm-hmm. and everything. And, and I felt this, like, camaraderie um, with these guys, and it just... Uh, I mean, it's funny, when I go into prison, I actually feel safer because I feel like I'm with these group of men who, they have my back no matter what. Like, I, I, you know, we are so filled with doubt, and there is no doubt when I walk into that prison that if anything were to happen, these guys would protect me no matter what. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, um, I just want to comment on one thing about projection, and then I want to invite Dana to answer the same question about how you end up in prison of all places when you're a six, is that, you know, the projection, often we think of it as the negative. We take the fear that I have in me, and I think that it's you doing something, right? The, skept- the, the suspicion that you had for people looking at you when you were in your 20s. But the projection can also work in the positive. So you can see people that have done bad things, right, and have been at the bottom of themselves because you also recognize that you have those aspects of you. But in the um, in the positive way, you can see that the, the men walking around San Quentin and the women and men were serving in the jails, they are working so hard to get out from under this and to um, be brutally honest with the uh, the way they've been pretending and masquerading in the world and that that is so reassuring. I really want to echo that, that I think that people in prison and in the programs that we're running are, are willing to talk about the, um, the really dysfunctional parts of themselves because they know that that hasn't served them and they do don't want to be there anymore and that is such a reassuring conversation so if somebody looks you in the eye and says they're in for murder rape and kidnapping and they know that and they um, they can see all the things that led up to them doing that because of the way that they had so much dysfunction in their life prior then it feels very reassuring because we're not worried about what's not being said or that they're pretending that there's somebody else all out there on the table which for the truth tellers sixes are one and eights and fours are another two types they, they want to know that. So um, you see the positive aspects of yourself in these men and women, and are, at, at least I'm hearing that as you're sharing. And um, I think that's why I'm so drawn to the six myself, because they are so, so committed to others. And when they get healthy, they're equally committed to themselves. Dana, can you talk a little bit about how you, um, being a six in prison is for you and how it is maybe working alongside Prison Project, what's coming up for you? 
I mean, I really feel like Erin made the salient points. Like right before she said underdog, I was thinking underdog. And right before Mm -hmm. she said, you know, being in there and having people keep it real, I was thinking about that. So, um, you know, and also for me, like I've known my whole life, like I'm anyone who knows me and Susan and Erin, you guys know me pretty well. Like I'm not a polished stone. And so I'm very like rough hewn. So I fit really well in that arena where it's like, oh, you know, like what all they want is as real as you can give it. And I mean, I curse like a sailor. I've tried really hard today to not do that. (laughs) I've I've done pretty good, but we've almost hit an hour mark and I'll probably be the (laughs) new world record for me. And so it's just like that doesn't fit in in many places. Like my personality, my intensity, my aggression, my like not just desire, but like need, like real genuine need for everything to be as real as possible, as authentic as possible, as, um, you know, and I know that sometimes we can't do that, right? Like resistance arises and we just can't go there and we're not ready yet. Um, There's something that so draws me to this, um, anyone that's willing to do that, and I find on the outside that a lot of people aren't like their masks have maybe, maybe been working for them or they don't realize how much they're suffering or they're whatever it is. So in jail, it's like, it really does feel like these are my people. Like I was telling someone the other day, you know, I used to get off panels outside of jail and run back to my books and make sure that I was still a six because I did not identify with the people on the panel. Mm-hmm. And the first time I was in jail, I was on a panel with a six and I was like, I, that's when I, like Aaron said, I was like, this is, these are my people. Sixes that are in jail are for sure my people. And I felt that way every other time that I've met a six in jail. And sometimes I feel it on the outside too. So I just feel like the underdogness, the keeping it real. And like, for whatever reason, like just, being able to strip down to our, our humanity, right? Like life is hard. Doing our work is hard and it's also rewarding and fulfilling and beautiful and, and the effect ripples out. Um, and so being with a group of people that want to do that and where I actually have to do that to be able to be with them and hold that space and be one step above is, is literally my dream job. It hits every requirement that I could ever think of. I can swear, I can wear jeans. We're keeping it emotional and real. Like I, I am encouraged to bring myself fully to it. I mean, everything that I could want is doing this work inside with these men and women. Yeah. I feel that from you. I feel that from both of you. I want to, um, we have just a few more minutes and I want to touch on this point. When we start studying the Enneagram, it's really easy to sit on a panel and say, all these are all the neurotic things about myself. It's even gets a little easier, especially when you're on a panel with your peeps to laugh at the parts of yourself that are so dysfunctional and crazy. But that's really just the beginning because the work is about accepting all of ourselves and that includes the positive. And as we said in the very beginning, sixes can orient to the negative. So I, I have really seen both of you step up to the challenge of your enoughness, of your trustworthiness, of your competency, of your loyalty, of your, your kindness and your gentleness. So I'm asking a hard question at the end here about what are the things that you've come to appreciate about yourself um, in light of uh, the Enneagram and, and maybe the work that you're doing either in teaching it or in, in, the, in the community where you're, you're um, working. Is there anything that you, you can say to the, 
people that are studying themselves, particularly the sixes, who may be more comfortable in the in the negativity, the angst, the doubt. Um, either one of you. I'm not. I don't want to put one of you on the spot. Who's first? Dana, you're first. Erin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we both call the other person. Well. Something that I've realized is it's it's actually kind of a, a really delicious feeling to settle in with the fact that we're not as horrible as we try to convince everyone that we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I have a really good friend that was like, you know, she's, she's a seven and she's like, you're so funny. She's like, your thing is like, don't hire me. But if you did, I'd actually do a really good job, right? Like we're constantly underselling so we can over like provide <laughs> ideally. Um, and so I think really settling into the fact that like there is a lot of a lot of good stuff there. And one of the things that I've really realized that I actually thought that I did not have the capacity to do that the men and women inside are, and, and you and everyone else through, with EPP and doing all this work, is I've realized I have a great capacity to connect with other people and hold the space through the tears or the anger or the happiness or whatever that is and really, really, really feel into what they're feeling and where they're at and how this is for them. And I actually thought like I didn't have that capacity. Like not that I wasn't good at it. Thought that I I thought I couldn't do it. Like it was like there was something wrong with me and it wasn't there. And mm-hmm. so doing this work has really like it's been probably more of a healing process for me, maybe, or as much as it has been for the men and women inside to this point. So really being able to settle into the fact that at six is two, we can really feel into another person and where they're at and hold that space is like, I would encourage any six to lean into that. I think that's really, really helpful. And I think that as the truth tellers who want the real deal, it's equally important to say, I, I am good. I am kind. I am all those things that I've told these stories for years about ways that I'm not. So Erin, what are those, those places inside of you that you've fallen for that may have taken you by surprise that you're now leading with more than ever? Yeah, I think, um, I think, yeah, as a six, it is, it's so natural for us to go to the negative and, and I was realizing it's hard. It's easier to hear negative feedback from other people, right? So I think um, a lot of my work, and Dana, you're right. I mean, one of the great things about the Enneagram and the Enneagram Prison Project is this continual learning about myself, right? I'm always picking up new stuff, and it's just, I love it, and it's fascinating. But, um, like, such a big piece for me is being able to, like, take in when people... Um, say good things and when people appreciate me and in prison these people are so appreciative of everything that we do no matter how we feel like we don't do much at all like we're just doing our thing and they're so appreciative and um, you know and so when they say you know you're making a difference and and thank you and stuff. It's really, it's difficult, but, and it's a lot of work, but to be able to take that in and then acknowledge it myself, okay, you know what? That's true. I, I am good and I am doing a good thing and I am kind. And so, um, I think it's, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's good work, especially for, for sixes, you know, mm-hmm. because we do tend to focus on the negative. So, um, 
And you know what? And then when I get real honest with myself, I'm like, that feels good. That's nice. That's <laughs> nice to be told that, right? It's, that's, that does feel good somewhere inside. <laughs> right. And you know, it, 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 it's, um, it's equally reassuring to me as a, somebody, as a colleague with a six and relationship that you can own the good things because if you can't, then it's sort of, we're, we're how much truth are we really telling? Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is the, the place I want to end with, with everyone who's exploring their type and the Enneagram is that this is a system of freedom and it is so um, familiar for many of us, particularly the ones and sixes and to be in the, in the difficulty and in the struggle, uh, you know, other types can be in the struggle, there's a real beauty in being able to own all the parts of ourselves so that we can actually be completely free. That's the goal. And um, being willing to be with our, our own um, lovability, which um, is a lifelong journey. So I really want to thank you, Erin and Dana, for being here in support of me and of the Enneagram and, and especially of the work of Enneagram Prison Project. You two are an enormous gift, and I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This is Susan Olesic with Enneagram Prison Project signing off for Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. We will see you next week for our final episode of Type 7, The Epicure. Thank you for listening. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to new ways of seeing, to greater degrees of compassion, and to pathways to health for our world with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join us next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel.